and I have to explain to them, you know, furniture kills more people than sharks and coconuts combined. Like you need to think about whether your stuff is going to hurt somebody or fall apart eventually. So being a designer and a maker, I think is important for me. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Sean Flaherty, owner of the furniture company SCF Design. Six years in, Sean has a contemplative view of the furniture industry. With the roots of his company starting in the art world, he likes to focus on the process of design and building as a journey itself, and not necessarily a reflection on the value of the finished piece. In a medium like furniture, where artistic merit and business acumen go hand in hand, Sean has had to find his own balance to gauge what success means to him to build the company that we see today. So follow along as we talk about art versus business, the creative burnout, finding your own values, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Sean's journey in his own words. I started really in the art field. So I have a, a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Sculpture from Cal State Long Beach, and I went on to get a Master of Fine Arts at CalArts. And I was focused on um, drawing, video art, photography primarily, and I was I was kind of exploring and critiquing the concept and tropes of like masculinity as represented through culture. Um, so very different from furniture, but also also not because furniture is a very unfortunately masculine field with a lot of specific tropes that people expect or rely on or cash in on. But that's not at all why I got into woodworking. I just find it interesting of the kind of masculine uh, expectations and parallels in in woodworking. So like, you know, craftsmanship versus craftswomanship or craftspersonship. Those sorts of things are kind of interesting conversations for me. But to get back on track, I was doing fine art. I graduated. I was in a couple of museum shows. I showed in a couple of galleries. I started working for other fine artists. And I was doing almost full-time work doing different sorts of construction for different people. So um, making canvases and stretchers, doing different sorts of strange sculptural elements. And one of the people I was working for was interested in furniture. And he wanted to start making his own furniture. I was running the shop, so we were just going to figure it out. We had a table saw and a chop saw. I think that's it. And we're like, hey, let's make furniture. So I had to figure out really everything from scratch, from you know cutting joinery, and um, the details of how everything goes together. And then I started getting kind of obsessed and interested in the technical side of things. So, you know, figuring out how wood breathes and moves and how you can attach it that it works and, and doesn't fall apart. Um, all those details are things that are really interesting and really important beyond just the design elements of pieces. I think not just the way it's put together, but the way it's the way the process works to put it together. The design of the process of the design of the piece is as interesting as the piece is at the end. Sort of in an Eames sort of style of how we're going to put this thing together has to make sense in order for the product to make sense. But anyway, so we just started uh, making chairs and doing stuff. And then I started collecting some hand tools because we didn't have a joiner. Uh, we didn't have a planer. So I was um, you know, flattening and thicknessing my work by hand. And um, eventually, I kind of opened up my own space 
and got the necessary tools that I needed to have a really basic setup. Like one of the first real tools I got, oddly, was a Festool Domino. And suddenly it was like, oh, I can do joinery fast. And I don't have to hand cut um, mortise and tenons. And this opened up uh, a means of selling work at a much better price because trying to hand cut all your joinery and get paid what you need to for your hourly labor is hard at first. Once you're good enough at, the, at cutting everything, you know, it's, it's a wash depending on how fast you can work. You can see how I'm really bad at sticking to a question <laughs> and rambling off. I'll try to get back on track. <laughs> I think it's perfect. I think it shows that you think about like you're talking about with your building where the process is just as important as the finished piece. It shows that the way you're thinking about it and the process that you're going through is just as important for your business as selling a final piece of furniture. So I understand that your life imitates art in this scenario. Right. <laughs> it actually is perfect for one of the first things that I was thinking to ask you, because on your website, you have artist, designer, maker. And mm -hmm. when people put stuff on their website, obviously, it's for other people to see. But that is kind of getting to the core of how you think about yourself, maybe going a little bit beyond just furniture maker and wanting mm -hmm. to see if you did think of yourself as an artist first and then a designer and then a maker and then a furniture maker, or if you felt like those things were all interchangeable in the way you think about your business and the way you build your furniture. I think that's a super interesting question. There's a value placed upon certain words like design and art. And culturally, it seems we've decided that art has a higher value than design. So I fundamentally disagree with that concept. I think design is as important as art. I don't think one should be put over the other. People like musicians wanting to call themselves artists, I don't understand it. An artist is a thing. It's a person who produces art. Uh, if you're a musician, why aren't you just good enough being a musician? And I feel the same way about design. If you're a designer, own designer. You don't have to take the label of an artist. So you're making me second guess having artists on my website because... I am an artist and I do produce work in an artistic fashion, but what I am doing now, what I'm producing, what I'm selling is design. And I understand, like I said, culturally, if I call it art, you know, I can tack on 15% to the sale price. <laughs> I do think it's interesting making a distinction between a designer and a maker, I think is important. There's a lot of designers out there who, I think mostly designers out there who never touch the materials. And I've worked with a number of interior designers and architects who work with me to make a piece of furniture. And generally, it's very frustrating because they, they don't understand or they haven't taken the time to consider the materials. They want this form. They want this shape. They want this thing produced. And then it comes to you. And suddenly, I find myself completely redesigning the piece because what they designed doesn't, it literally doesn't work. It would fall apart. It would... I mean, the number of people who wanted me to make pedestal tables with like a tiniest pedestal and this huge tabletop. And I have to explain to them, you know, furniture kills more people than sharks and coconuts combined. Like you need to think about whether your stuff is going to hurt somebody 
or fall apart eventually. So being a designer and a maker, I think is important for me to be able to work with the material, touch it myself, and let the design work with the materials, hopefully in a cohesive way. I think you're in a very unique position to talk on Another point that is brought up a lot when talking about furniture, where luxury furniture and custom furniture crosses into the world of quote unquote artistic furniture. And as somebody who Mm -hmm. has a background in studio art and also in big capital letter A art and has worked in that field, but also has worked in the furniture field, when you are pricing out a piece of work, How do you distinguish if your price should be for standard everyday furniture that people visually can relate to? Or Mm -hmm. if it goes past with maybe the style or the construction or with the person who's doing it into art, capital letter, capital A art, how do you distinguish between that pricing for yourself? I try to keep my pricing very simple. I will say that I didn't start furniture making for the money. I don't think anybody says, I'm getting into furniture to make a fortune. It is not, I'd be a banker if I wanted to make money. There is a lot of better ways to make a lot of money than to make things. But I think think making things is more interesting than consuming, generally. Uh, I've always been somebody who has a physical need to make stuff. Even when I was doing art and I was video editing and doing a lot of video work, I found this need physically that I had to do something with my hands or I didn't feel this certain level of uh, fulfillment or satisfaction that I needed. But to get back to your question, (laughs) I price on labor and materials. I don't distinguish if a piece is quote unquote artistic or not in order to change the pricing. I think about my design time, which very often I really can't account for. If I want to get paid for my design time, the piece is too expensive, especially for a one-off custom piece. If I spend a ton of time designing that piece and I charge for that as well as my labor, the prices feel uh, higher than I think they should. So generally, I often don't get paid for my design time. In doing a, a smaller or larger run of a piece of furniture where that design time gets spread out over multiple checks of income every time you sell a piece, that starts to work out better. But I found myself less interested in taking on small pieces because you spend, you know, 50% of your time designing, researching, 50% of your time making it, and you only get paid for that 50% of your time. Uh, where if it's a larger piece, you're spending 10% of your time, and then the rest of it in the actual production, which I feel justified in charging for. But the short version of that answer is, I don't change the price for art, quote unquote. I think the concept of whether a piece of furniture is art or not, to me, seems to come down to whether it functions. If you design a chair that no longer functions as a chair, that seems to move into the art category. Like it becomes a completely different dialogue. And that's fine. And I think that would start to enter a different world of pricing, not necessarily in amounts, just in structure. But um, artistic furniture, well, what I just think of as well-designed furniture, furniture that has a lot of time and focus in it, I just think of that as design, personally. You mentioned that when you deal with designers, people who don't have their hands on the product, that sometimes their designs don't work in the real world. And I think that anyone who's ever done custom furniture can relate to a client saying, I want it this way, and you having to explain 
why that wouldn't work in the type of material that they want. But for you personally, when somebody comes to you asking for a custom piece, if they don't give you a hundred percent guidelines for everything, then as a designer and as a furniture maker Mm -hmm. and from your sculptural background, I'm sure you think of it, even though you're not pricing for art, you think of it in a more artistic way than just functional. This is how it goes together. Exactly. More, more functional. Yeah. So how do you constrain yourself with the design when you know you're not getting paid for it, but you also want the piece to be something special because what you put out into the world is important for you? So how are you deciding on materials and mm-hmm. building techniques to make the amount of money that you need, but also to satisfy the desire to have the best design you can come up with. Right. When, when I was reading through your podcast and kind of listening along and seeing kind of the focus on the business of it, I think that is so important. I think people need to understand and, and know that in the same way in the art world, they don't understand how the business functions and people get in a lot of trouble as they start their career. I'm not a good case for it because I've made a choice to value my design, my interests, my mental health over over my finances, essentially. Like when I started art, like I said, that was not a decision that was financially based. That was based on fulfilling the needs that I had for my happiness. So when I'm designing a piece for a client, I hope for a lot of trust from that client. We sit down, we talk about their limitations and needs. So it fills this space, it it fulfills this function. um, And hopefully I can have like an open conversation with them about price. How much is price important? How much is value important? And that kind of gives me an idea of materials. From that point, I do a a rough design with a rough price that goes through the client. At that point, they say, I love it. Let's keep going. Or they say, it's a little rich for my blood. And at that point, I have to make a decision of, okay, well, I'm not the guy for you. Talk to another designer and like, you know, here's somebody I know. Or often I can say, you know what? We can change some things. It does not have to be in Walnut. Uh, it does not have to be this size. It doesn't need hand-cut joinery. We can come up with something that is an interesting and compelling design and fulfills a function at a better price point for this client. You mentioned earlier about working with designers. The frustration there for me is that I don't have direct contact with the client. So I'm working through an intermediary who is not clearly communicating the limitations that I'm presenting or the the requests or questions that I'm trying to get to the client. When it's stuck with the designer, they're focused on their design and their vision and their portfolio. Uh, When I'm trying to fulfill the needs of the client and there's somebody in between me and the client, and that's been the frustration, not always, uh, but sometimes when working with designers. We kind of jumped right into the deep end of how you think about furniture, but I want to go back to when you started, you were working with somebody else, you were in a studio, and you started building furniture, and you started to understand it a little bit more. And then you got more tools. And as you got more tools, you got a better understanding. And then you went out on your own. Yeah. What made you go out on your own? And how did you decide it was time to start doing this for yourself rather than going in and getting a paycheck from somebody else? That's a great question. For me, it was a matter of where would I be happiest? And if I felt I had enough 
clients and I had enough word of mouth going that I could sustain my minimum income necessary. Because when you're working for yourself, you make more, plain and simple. Like I can work for somebody else, I can make, you know, X dollars an hour and have to work full time, or I can work for myself, work, you know, a third that amount of time and make the same amount of money. So it was pretty clear that even if I'm not always busy, I'll make at least the same amount of money working for myself and I'm going to have a whole lot more happiness um, and a whole lot more satisfaction. I'm going to ask this and it's a very big picture question and then I'm going to regret it immediately after because I have no idea what a follow-up question for this would be. But (laughs) what do you deem as happiness for you, as success for yourself? Because you said that you're not necessarily in this for the money. Yes, it's important to keep yourself going, but what is that end of the day you feel like, yes, this day was successful or no, this day wasn't successful if you're not really basing your business on money or fame or clients? No, it's a, that's, you're right. That's a super deep question that's gonna, it depends how you approach it. When I think about my happiness, It is tied to making things and it is tied to making things that I feel proud of and putting things into the world that will last. If I can make a chair for somebody, they're happy with it and it lasts for generations, that gives me a very deep sense of satisfaction. If I produce a cheap chair that lots of people can afford but ends up in a landfill, that does not give me satisfaction. That makes me feel bad about what I'm doing because I'm negatively impacting the world essentially overall. But when it comes to, like you said, the end of the day, do I feel satisfied of, of what, I, what I'm doing or, uh, or how my business is functioning? What I've found through the help of therapy <laughs> is that my happiness is not actually tied in any way to what I do. And that was hard for me to figure out. And it's something I'm still working with. The amount of money I make, what I'm producing, it actually is not tied to how I feel about myself and what my level of happiness is. And a big part of that is becoming a father and having a human to raise and realizing that any piece of art that I've made that's impacted people in a deep way or any furniture that I've made that somebody loves and cherishes, that is not as important as what my son will do in his life and what I can provide for him. It's a challenge that I've talked to a lot of artists about who go on to have kids is art was our kid making things was our kid. We're producing things to go into the world to like have a life. And suddenly there's this real life. There's an actual life. And the amount of time we can spend with that person, we're, we're building that person the same way. If I can spend my time in my woodshop building a thing, I'm building that thing. So it's become a question of, am I going to be home (laughs) with my son building this piece of human furniture (laughs) or am I going to be in the shop? So like when, when my son was born, it was during COVID. And that was a very strange time. And what I actually did was I stayed home with him for six months. My wife was working full time. She had the more stable job with insurance and all that BS that Americans have to worry about. And so I stayed home. So I took time off my business. And that was very, that was very difficult. And I know that's very difficult for women. And they don't get the credit for it. That they should because labor is labor. It doesn't matter if you're in the shop or if you're in the home, you are laboring. I hope I answered the question in there somewhere. You did. You did. You answered it for yourself. And another question for you, looking at this through your lens, but 
could be extrapolated for the bigger picture of artistic people in general is furniture makers and creative people in general, they can get burned out in some way and they can put their all into something, but it doesn't satisfy them the same way it used to. And Mm -hmm. some people are doing it just for money. And we all know that there are, like you said, and like I've said many, many times that there are easier ways to make money than furniture. So money and fame can't always be a driving factor. I don't want to say, where do you see this going? My end goal, right? Like Your end goal and how do you see yourself maintaining you personally and, and the bigger picture of artistic people in general? How do you see maintaining your drive to do something when you're not being solely directed by an outside income? Right. Once again, great question. <laughs> I, I'll i give two versions of this answer. The version that's specific to me, and I'm starting to think that it does apply to a ton of creative people, especially in the furniture business, I'm finding out, the design business. A lot of that's ADHD. <laughs> it's people having interests, having hyper-focus, and then burning out and wanting to move on to the next thing. And that's just that's just the way some brains are designed. That is just a, a challenge that a lot of us have. Um, and how to deal with that, man, that's, I don't know how you deal with that because we are constantly wanting to move on to the next thing and getting burnt out and tired and um, wanting to move on to the next interest. That was my pattern. I did, uh, I did ceramics, I did jewelry making, I did glass blowing, I did figurative sculpture, I did video art. I did, um, you know, I've done all those things and then finally landed in this furniture spot. And I think it is the right place for me because it is the right combination of creativity or or artistic drive, whatever you want to say, and income, right? So when I first started doing furniture and kind of put art with a capital A on the back burner, I started selling furniture pieces to collectors and artists that I would have been so excited to get a piece of art into their collection. And suddenly it was like, oh, well, they want my furniture. Like, I should be just as happy placing my furniture with this collector or this um, curator that I respect and care about than I should be with my art. And that's been a, a process of, like I said, devaluing the word art to equal designer or equal design, because I think they are equal. Um, but you're fighting against that cultural weight behind it. Somebody who invests as much time, physical time with the building and also mental time designing and thinking about a piece like you do is definitely putting a lot of work into their pieces. And you mentioned it in the beginning that when you moved from hand tools to the domino and to other tools, you could see that you could make furniture a lot faster. Mm -hmm. And someone like you, you've had your business for six plus years and you've been doing this for a while, but I'm sure you see that if you brought in an employee or multiple employees, you'd be able to make furniture faster. But there is probably that push and pull in your mind of if I bring somebody in, will they understand? Will they appreciate 
will they give the right reverence to the piece of furniture that I'm making? Yeah. Have you had that battle in your mind about bringing employees on or not? And if you have, mm-hmm. what has been going through your mind in that way about scaling or keeping it mm-hmm. as it is with just you? Yeah, absolutely. Scaling is a, from what I understand, scaling businesses is one of the hardest things a business can do. A lot of businesses fail when they do scale because the skills that are needed when starting a business are not the skills needed when scaling a business. And and this is a big problem and I've been aware of it. A lot of the issues I have specifically in Los Angeles that I'm sure you have in New York is price per square foot. Getting a shop space, getting it set up with the right electrical and built out and you know all the disgusting stuff taken out of it is a huge investment. And having people in that space all the time working is necessary to cover the cost of that space. So the capital investment to grow a business where square footage is insane in a place like Los Angeles is just not a risk I've been willing to take. The focus I've had on where my business is going right now has been prioritizing my own designs over producing things for designers or kitchens or built-ins, things like that. I do have to take those projects on because I do have bills to cover But when I have the choice or when mentally I'm in a place where I can't do another cabinet, I will let a project go because I know. So like I just did this chair recently that I'm like very excited about. And it's gotten kind of a crazy amount of traction on the Internet, which is very nice. And it's something that I've been thinking about for years. And I finally was able to make a prototype of it. And that was time in which I could have been doing another project. But I decided that's one paycheck. This design, this chair could potentially turn into many paychecks. If this is something I can nail down, that there's interest in, that I could have produced even potentially outside my shop at a larger scale, that's a better long-term investment for my business than just making another cabinet. For people who want to go down the road of furniture making, of owning a furniture business, and people who have already been down that road and have their own business coming from your background of not only being in the industry for a while, but also being in a lot of other artistic and creative industries as well. What has been your takeaways from your experiences that you think you could share with other people to help them run their businesses better? Right. I would say think about your priorities and think about your reasons. If your reasons and priorities are more aligned with mine, then What matters is design. Um, Anyone can be taught to make a chair. Anyone could be taught woodworking. It is not that complicated, honestly. Like you can buy a book from Tig Fried and you can watch some YouTube videos and teach yourself furniture making. I taught myself furniture making. Like my education, my very expensive education is in art. And I taught me nothing about furniture making and now I'm doing furniture making. So if, if your interest is in a more creative or design challenge area, really focus on spending time with your designs, prioritize spending time in your shop that is not income oriented, that is about growing your design business, that's about growing your furniture in a place you want it to be. If your focus is on income, then yeah, open up a cabinet shop. I mean, the amount of kitchens being renovated in LA alone, that'll keep everybody busy forever. I'd say you can start small. There's no reason somebody can't... Oh, that's something I didn't mention. I work in a one-car garage. 
Um, I had a large space on the east side. I shared spaces with different people, and it just didn't make sense. But I bought a place that had a one-car garage. I was very smart about stacking and organizing and moving everything around, and I now produce very high-end furniture at very different scales very comfortably from that space. There's no reason you need to you know, buy an insane number of tools or have a giant space with an insane dust collection and CNC. You can start small. You can start small. You can focus on what you care about and slowly move that in the marketplace and see what's getting traction both financially, but also what's fulfilling you. The other thing we didn't mention at all that is like, is CNC and AI, <laughs> which we should talk about. <laughs> I don't know if anyone has messed with AI yet, um, but like it is going to affect everything, all of our industries. And luckily, woodworkers for the moment are safe. Like go on mid journeys and tell it to design mid-century furniture, tell it to design hardwood walnut furniture, and it makes the most crazy things. And you can see where it's pulling from and what it's trying to do, but it doesn't have what the human brain has, which is an ability to like edit and curate. But when we're getting computer learning, getting to a point where it's going to do a lot of this work for us, and especially with CNCs and 3D milling and all these machines that are doing so much of the labor. When you've got enough money to invest in those machines, that is going to change the whole business. And um, people like me uh, are going to have to really find our niches in order to compete with with that kind of production. And I'm not even sure how that's going to go yet, but it's going to be it's going to be wild. Well, I think we're all along for the ride on that one, and that is a that is a train that is not slowing down. So we just have to hang on and see where it takes us. But as I tell a lot of people who ask me this question, the woodworking and the furniture world has continued to evolve from hand tools to battery powered tools to automated machinery, and it's going to keep growing. And the industry has continued to grow along with it. So it's scary, but it's also where it's going and we can't stop it. So we might as well adapt and figure out how to build moving forward. But that is definitely a topic for another conversation, <laughs> an important conversation, but yeah. for a different episode and a different time and a different place. But I do want to thank you for sharing your thoughts about your business and the business in general. And I appreciate it. I know everybody else listening appreciates it. And I wish you nothing but success in your business. Thank you. We've really covered a lot of the stuff that I think is interesting, like within the space. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.